0: Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study.
1: Jesus Name above all names
0: I worship you
1: Jesus Worthy to be praised
0: I Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next 20 minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Pine.
2: And I'm Andy Bailog. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies.
1: Andy, today I want to dive into the topic of Christian apologetics. As any Christian who promotes the faith in public knows, the world is full of people who think that our beliefs are anti-science and unsupported by evidence. They think the word faith means belief without evidence or believing without evidence. And that's just wrong, and we need to know why it's wrong and be able to explain it. Many of our listeners have probably
2: heard the word apologetics, but what does it mean? Are we apologizing for God or something?
1: No, not at all, Andy. It comes from the Greek word apologia or apologia, meaning to make a defense. And you know, this is an important skill for Christians, making a defense, because we should always be ready to give a defense for the hope of Christ that is in us, as the Apostle Peter put it. In fact, that's where the word apologia comes from, 1 Peter 3.15. And speaking of apostles, the tradition of apologetics goes back to the Apostle Paul, who defended the faith in such esteemed places as Mars Hill in Athens, which was the world's center of philosophical debate at the time. Mm, You know, that also reminds
2: me of what Paul and Barnabas went through when they were in Greece and they came to a town in Lystra and they entered that town hoping to convert some of the people there. And unfortunately, they took Barnabas as being Zeus and they called Paul Hermes and they really wanted to worship them. But of course, Paul and Barnabas rebuked them and for their troubles, they ended up getting stoned to death. So what's the big deal, right? But yeah, I mean, I think that's what we need to understand is um, it is a key part of our ministry
1: And apologetics is critical for us to learn more about and how we can master that. Okay, Andy, so let's try some apologetics and hopefully it won't uh, end as badly as it did for Paul and Barnabas. Online, our ministry has often been attacked by atheists who demand, where is your evidence that God exists? And honestly, that's a fair question. Well, a good answer to that question can be found in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that answer is God is self-evident. Just open your eyes. Let's listen now
0: to the Word of God. Two readings, the first one from Psalms. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you think of him, and a son of man that you are concerned about him? That was Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4. And now a second reading, this one from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made, so that they are without excuse. That was Romans chapter 1, verse 20. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His word.
1: So the idea of both of these verses is that when you look up at the heavens and you see the galaxies or When you look around and see all the wonders of Earth, it should be obvious these things did not create themselves. This is called the teleological argument, or the argument from design. Telos in Greek means end. In other words, we deduce from the end result, a design, that there is a designer. You know, in 1802, a pastor named William Paley had the following analogy, which I'll paraphrase in modern English. He said... Imagine you are crossing an open field and you trip over a stone. Someone asks, hey, how did that stone get there? Now you might answer, it must have been there forever. And it wouldn't be so easy for that person to explain why your answer was wrong. But now imagine you found a watch in that same field. And the same question was asked. No sane person would say, it must have been there forever, this watch. A sane person would realize that someone must have dropped it there. Let's go further. They would also recognize that the watch must have been made by a watchmaker, that is, an intelligent craftsman who understood its construction, carefully thought things through, and then designed it. Well, every type of evidence of design that exists in a watch also exists in nature, and the design of nature is greater by far, to a degree that exceeds human comprehension. Yeah, you know, Jordan... I kind of think of
2: you know some of the discussions that we've had, and and I'm pretty sure at this point many atheists in the world have come to the conclusion that there must be intelligent design because there's only so far back that they can use scientific studies to prove anything as being created. So based on that, we always come to the ultimate question is, well then, who was the first person to put it in motion or what thing that you know started the Big Bang, if you will. So I, I feel that as time goes on and more of these atheists or agnostics want to come to the table and have these discussions, at the end of the day, they're going to realize that there had to be something intelligent that came up with the design, even if they don't agree it to be God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, ultimately they must believe that there had to be something intelligent putting life itself into
1: motion. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Big Bang because, you know, in order for there to be a design, there must be a designer. That's the teleological argument in a nutshell. But there's also this argument called the cosmological argument. And simply put, that argument states that in order for the universe to have a beginning, someone had to make it begin. Or as apologist Frank Turek put it, to have a Big Bang, as you said, there needed to be a Big Banger. So of course, you know, that argument assumes there was a Big Bang, and and that's very interesting because this is a place where science fully supports the Bible. I know that, you know, atheists and critics and stuff like to put faith and science opposite of each other or or suggest that religious people are anti-science, but in a lot of ways science supports the Bible, and this is one of those ways. As uh, Norman Geisler put it, he's another apologist, the Bible teaches that out of nothing, the Creator spoke, and the universe leapt into existence. Andy, what scripture supports this? Let's go there first. Well, Jordan, let's turn to the book of Psalms. Again,
2: it's uh, Psalms chapter 33, and I'll pick up in verse 6. And it reads, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth All their lights, meaning sun, stars, etc., were created. And then moving to verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it was
1: done. He commanded, and it stood firm. Yeah, so that's what what Norman Geisler means when he says, out of nothing the Creator spoke, and the universe leapt into existence. That's basically what he's doing. He's paraphrasing what you just read, Andy, Psalm 33. Back to the Big Bang, it was quite controversial when it was proposed because skeptical scientists immediately saw it as supporting this long-held religious belief that you, that you read and that, that uh, Mr. Geisler encapsulated. And also, you know, supporting Genesis 1-1, you know, in the beginning, right? So um, I think that the scientific consensus at that time was a little bit different. They believed that the universe had always existed, that it was eternal, and that it had been in what's called a steady state forever. But science disproved this in multiple ways. And and now the consensus among scientists is that the universe had a beginning. The the Big Bang is no longer um, controversial. It's fully established science. All the science supports that the universe arose out of nothing in a single moment of time. We call it the Big Bang. It's sort of like the popular term for it, but there are many different terms for it. And I think that anyone at this point who argues otherwise claims the universe is, is eternal or always existed Um, is denying science. And of course, that creates a real problem for them if they're still skeptical of the existence of God, because then you bring in the cosmological argument. Yeah, I mean, well
2: said. I mean, and if you're going to bring up skeptics, I mean, come on, if you kind of just scour the internet, I mean, there's still conspiracy theorists that believe that the world is flat, (laughs) you know? So you're always going to get people, you know, creating some kind of, you know, unsupported argument. But let's look at this argument in particular. And in its simplest form, it goes like this. Number one, everything that had a beginning had a cause. Number two, the universe had a beginning. And number three, therefore the universe had a cause. In logic, this is called a syllogism. A syllogism is a three-part statement where if the premises are true, the conclusion must be valid. Now, if the premises The first two statements of the cosmological argument are true, then the conclusion, the last statement, the therefore sentence, is valid according to the laws of logic.
1: Yes, and logic is the strongest type of evidence there is when you're talking about something for which we cannot get hard proof. Obviously, no one can go back in time and get hard proof about how the universe began or observe the creation of a universe in a lab. So logical conclusions, reasoning, based on premises supported by science, is the next best type of evidence we have. Like a mathematical proof, for example, logic proves whether a conclusion is sound or not. And the reason the cosmological argument creates
2: a problem for atheists is that the logic of this syllogism is inescapable. You know, we know the first premise is true. Everything that had a beginning
1: has a cause. Absolutely nothing in our universe appears spontaneously without a cause. Right, and you said in our universe, and that's important, because some people will argue that the first premise contradicts the whole argument. If nothing appears spontaneously without a cause, then the universe could not appear spontaneously without a cause, right? But the premise doesn't say that. It says nothing in our universe appears spontaneously. All effects have causes in our universe, so there's no evidence to the contrary. But whatever created our universe was obviously outside of our universe. Correct, Jordan. And that brings us to the
2: second premise, that the universe had a beginning. Now, we already talked about this, but one little anecdote I find interesting is that Albert Einstein didn't even believe this for a long time. I guess he was an eternal universe guy. But as the story goes, Einstein heard that astronomer Edwin Hubble, and yes, that's for whom our Hubble Space Telescope, his name, had seen proof of the Big Bang in his mountaintop telescope, but he wouldn't believe it until he had seen it for himself. So he went up on the mountain, and Albert Einstein saw it for himself. Afterward, he said, I now see the necessity of a beginning. The universe did have a beginning. All I'm interested in
1: now is to find the mind of God. The rest are just details. Yeah, it's a great story. So we've seen both premises of the cosmological argument are backed by scientific evidence. And that means by the laws of logic, our conclusion is sound, the universe had a cause. And the next step in this logical thought process is equally sound. That cause is God. To see why, we have to start by simplifying the concept of God. You know, oftentimes Christians and atheists sort of talk past each other because Christians are talking about the God they know personally and from the Bible. A heavenly father with all these wonderful attributes, and atheists are stuck on the basic concept of whether a superior being even exists. So we should meet them where they are and begin by defining God simply, using attributes they will understand and that are supported by logic and science. When I do this, I define God as the eternal, immaterial, all powerful, super intelligent creator of the universe. And of course, I'm borrowing from others who have set forth these, these uh, attributes. Oh, that's a great way to put it, Jordan.
2: So let's take those one by one. For everyone listening, what is your evidence that
1: God is eternal? Okay, so most people don't realize this, but according to science, time did not begin until the universe began. Christians sometimes say God is outside of time, and that's exactly right, according to science. He is outside of time because time didn't exist until the Big Bang. Therefore, God must be outside of time or timeless, which is another way of saying that he's eternal. Well, what about immaterial? I mean, I know the Bible
2: says God is spirit, and we see that in John 4, 24, but how
1: is that supported by science? Before I said time began when the universe began, but that isn't completely accurate. In actuality, scientists say that space, time, and matter all began when the universe began at the same time. Therefore, as apologist Frank Turek put it, whatever caused the universe must be spaceless, timeless, and immaterial.
2: Yeah, Jordan, I mean, I don't think I need to ask you about the words all-powerful and words like super-intelligent, since that is pretty obvious. But to create an inter- entire universe from nothing, I mean,
1: you'd certainly need to be both of those things, no? Right, and if someone wanted to question my use of the phrase creator, which is another word for designer, I would revisit the teleological argument to show that all of nature demonstrates the work of his fingers, as the psalmist said. From the largest things to the smallest things, from the universe to the DNA in our cells, the evidence of design is everywhere.
2: Question for you, Jordan. Why is it that atheists believe Christians are
1: anti-science? I mean, are scientists anti-Christian? Certainly not, Andy. It is true that atheism in the form of scientific materialism, as it's called, has been the dominant ideology in the halls of science. But even still, a Pew Research poll in 2009 found that just over half of, science, of scientists, 51%, believe in some form of deity or higher power. And one, one third of them said they believed in God. There's also an organization called the American Scientific Affiliation, the ASA, which is a 75 year old network of Christians in the sciences. And it has more than 2,000 members. Of course, more to the point maybe, some of the greatest minds of science, including the founding fathers of science, believed in a supreme being. You know, we spoke about Einstein, who also said, quote, "...everyone who is seriously committed to the cultivation of science becomes convinced that in all the laws of the universe is manifest a spirit vastly superior to man, and to which we with our powers must feel humble." Then there's Sir Isaac Newton, who is considered the father of modern scientists, who said, what we know is a drop, what we do not know is a vast ocean. The admirable arrangement and harmony of the universe could only have come from the plan of an omniscient and omnipotent being. Finally, it surprises many people to learn that even Charles Darwin held these views. I have never denied the existence of God, he wrote. I think the theory of evolution is fully compatible with faith in God. I think the greatest argument for the existence of God is the impossibility of demonstrating and understanding that the immense universe, sublime above all measure, and man were the result of chance. So you can see, Andy, that there's a lot of uh, famous scientists and even modern scientists today that do believe in some form of, of supreme being. And again, I think we have to you know, not get sucked into some of the traps that skeptics will lay for us because again, you're talking past each other or or sometimes they'll go straight to the Bible and start criticizing the Bible. And like I was telling my kids recently, you know, you you really can't have a conversation about the the Bible with someone who doesn't even believe that God exists. It's so many levels up in the conversation. It's so many steps down the road. You have to back all the way up to basic concepts and just start talking about, well, let's talk about a very simplistic definition of God and, and let's try to, you know, come to reason on that that point before we even get all the way down the road and start talking about what the Bible means and your interpretation of it.
2: You know, Jordan, we kind of touched earlier upon, you know, the the possibilities and, and the what-ifs and, you know, science is, is structured and built upon being able to have some kind of proof. And obviously Christianity and, and faith in general is based on just having... Uh, a, a feeling in your heart and just knowing without proof, right? And that's that's basically the foundation of Christianity is our faith. So for those of you out there who are listening and are Christians and might have had a difficult time being able to express or share your faith to someone who doesn't believe in faith at all because they want you to prove it. Sometimes just using common sense is the best way to get to them. And I'll give you a, a quick example of what I mean. Ask them simple questions like hey, do you own insurance? Well, do you have a car? Do you have a home? Is there anything that you pay for that would include insurance, right? So if they say, well, yeah, I have a car and I have insurance on it and then ask them a simple question. Well, do you plan on crashing your car at any time soon? And obviously it'll tell you no. So then you could, again, just spit facts out like saying, well, do you know that you're paying maybe $100, to $300 a month just to protect yourself from the possibility of not crashing your car. But most people, the majority of people, never end up getting into a big accident. If if that was not the case, the insurance companies would be out of business. So you get insurance just in case. Well, you could tell these people, right? You could tell these skeptics, me as a Christian, for you to understand when we die because there is one truth that whether you're a, an atheist, an agnostic, or a Christian has to believe is that we are going to die one day. Now, obviously, we know the rapture is on its way, and we, most of us believe that. However, most people will agree, yes, that's one thing we can't avoid. We're going to die. So present that to them and say, hey, look, believing in Jesus Christ, believing in God, accepting that there's a superior being— doesn't cost you anything. There's no monthly fee to join. It's more of the what if. So you tell them this, look, you don't believe in God. You don't accept Jesus as your savior. And you might be right. I do believe in God. I do accept Jesus Christ as my savior. And I might be right. But the question here is neither you or myself have died yet to know who's right. So they would have to use the logic of saying, what if? And at the very least, that should open their heart to listen and consider that Christianity might be the viable way to go forward in their life just in case they leave this earth and there is a God and Jesus Christ is the only way to get saved, that they at least give an opportunity to look at Jesus as being their Savior.
1: Yeah, it's great that you mentioned that because, believe it or not, that um, that way of thinking is actually... Um an old way of thinking that goes back to the 1600s and a guy named Blaise Pascal. It's called Pascal's Wager. And basically, he just arrived at this the same way you did, just reasoning it out. He said that a rational person should live as though God exists and seek to believe in God because if God doesn't exist, then all you'll have is what he called a finite loss. You'll, you'll have lost some pleasures, some luxuries in this life. Let's say if you if you choose to deny yourself you know, some of the most extreme forms of pleasures and luxury that... That um, are outside of Christian living, sure. But if God does exist, then you see you stand to receive infinite gains, as represented by you know um, reward in heaven, sure, and avoid infinite loss, which is eternity in hell. So that 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 argument you just made, um, in a, in a very down to earth way, was is a very sophisticated argument that Pascal made, and it's it's a famous argument called Pascal's Wager. You know, you also mentioned that um, atheists claim that you know our faith is believing without evidence and. And um, they asked for the evidence, the evidence. But, you know, th- that I found is, is a bit of a, a red herring because, I mean, there's, there's so many things that everyone... You, you couldn't make it through life if you didn't have some degree of faith and things that you can't empirically prove or you can't see, you know, hear, taste, touch, smell. And, you know, we, we talked about the be- beginning of the universe as one, you know, if, if you have any thoughts about how the universe began, and atheists typically do, they believe that, you know, somehow it, it all spontaneously happened well, they weren't there to see the beginning of the universe, neither were you. There's no, there's no. Like I said, no one's ever made a universe exist in a lab, so it's all some form of belief if you think of it that way. And and I've also found that um, it doesn't take very long in a conversation to see that atheists themselves have fairly crazy beliefs that they that they um, hold without evidence. And just to give three quick examples, um, one of them is multiple universes. So without getting into a whole. Technical explanation. I'm sure anybody who's watched any uh, movies recently, TV or whatever, particularly of the science fiction genre, knows about multiple universes well. That's you an mean, actual. You mean I'm, I'm a
2: big Marvel fan. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. those, So there goes
1: my whole Marvel excitement. There, yeah, Marvel movies. Yeah, so so the the whole thing about multiple universes, you know, it came, some very smart people uh, theorized. Stephen Hawking was uh, was one who came up with this theory of multiple universes, and the reason was the same problem we've kind of been hitting on, which is when you, when you go, well, who made that? Well, who made that all the way back to the, to the beginning? And they, like I said, science now proves that the universe had a beginning. Well, then how do you explain the fact that, that this beginning just happened to go so perfectly? It was so so fine-tuned that everything went exactly right and we ended up with this sophisticated life on Earth. I agree, Jordan. That
0: is the truth. And that, everyone, is our lesson. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Preserved Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.